Hi, everybody. How many of you are here for the first time this year to this youth weekend? Raise your hand. Pretty high. Wow. Looks like about half. Really? That many people? So, uh, my name is Dana. Uh, I don't know if you know me, but uh, that's okay. I probably don't know you either. Uh, that makes us even. Uh, so, uh, there's a song that I wrote uh, for this occasion here called Pressing On. And I hope we can learn it together. It's kind of a prayer. Can you hear the guitar okay? Can you hear my voice okay? The booth is okay? Yeah? Hadassah. Yeah, how about putting it up? Just Hadassah does not know this song. Look like this. Forgetting what lies behind. Reaching out for the things ahead. I press on, I press on by your grace. I press on, dear Lord. Running forward and laying hold of the calling you've laid on me. I press on. second. Let's go back to the beginning. Where'd the capo go? Yeah. Let's take it up a little higher. So, so how's this going? So you done? Yeah. Press on. There's an on button. So, so this is just... Okay. So that one is... Yeah, that one is easier to use. This is called a capo, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this makes you able to play a song higher or lower as you choose. Uh, yeah, this, this looks more familiar here. Let's see how that does. Yeah, okay. You think you can do those first two lines from the first one time here? Forgetting what lies behind, reaching out for the things ahead. I press on, I press on, my grace, I press on, dear Lord. Running forward and you laid on me. I press on, I press on, by your grace, I press on. Calling fulfilled and true, not by my righteousness or my pride or success, but you. Resurrection's the power I choose, and in suffering joined with you, drawing me towards the prize of my calling on high. I am pressing right in.
I don't trust in my pride or my feelings inside. Resurrection, the power I choose. have that kind of aggressive freedom because of the love of Jesus Christ to press in. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to whatever we see. We press on. We press on by your grace. We pray as we study your word tonight and throughout this whole weekend that you'll give us this divine motivation, this unnatural supernatural motivation to press into one unseen for prizes yet unseen. Lord, we press into you by faith right now tonight. We thank you that we can be joined together, brothers and sisters here. Lord, make us one by your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn this off for now, but I want it back on in a little bit. How's that? Okay. All right, so let's turn again to Philippians chapter 3. Let's read this marvelous testimony of Paul's once again. I hope by the time the weekend's over, this testimony is deep in your heart. As you know, Philippians was written near the end of Paul's life while he was in prison. And while he was there at the same time, he wrote the book of Ephesians, which we know is a very high concept book, full of revelation. And the, and the book of Colossians as well, a very high a Christ-centered the theology and understanding of Christ is marvelous. But this was written at the same time, but more as a testimony that the change and the life that uh, Paul has experienced because of Jesus. And so when you listen to the context of it, it's actually even more amazing because this man is writing this buoyant testimony in prison. In Philippians 3.7 we begin. Whatever things were gained to me, those I've counted loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. The one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What a testimony. Now, you all have the T-shirts. What does the T-shirt say? Just press on? I, I don't know. I, I didn't look carefully at those. Or you don't have them yet. 
I see a whole bunch back there. Anyway, yeah, they look kind of cool. They're black. Oh, yeah, very good. Press on. <laughs> uh, you know, Paul is uh, sharing this uh, at a very mature time in his life. And so in one sense, he's speaking, he's living in another time zone than you and I are living in. Because he's come to know something that's absolutely captured him. And I'm not sure we're quite captured yet. Like Paul was. He's scaling a mountain. A mountain of such dimensions and everything that he can't fully express in human words what he's pursuing, what he's seeing, and what he's driving at. He started there on the road to Damascus, you know, when Jesus knocked him off his horse and he saw the Shekinah glory of God. And he heard the Shekinah glory's name. The glory of God was named Jesus. And that through his whole life for a loop. His old life ended at that moment in one sense. Because all that he knew and thought about God was wrong. But something happens when you see glory. Because glory on the one hand devastates you, on the other hand it makes you hungry to, to gain more of it. And since that moment that Paul was felled by this tremendous Christ on the road to Damascus, from that moment on, he started pressing, he started pursuing, he started growing. Growing and seeing that Christ, you see, when we say the name Christ, what does that mean to you? Maybe it means Jesus Christ, your Savior. Oh, I've come to know Jesus Christ, my Savior. Praise God. I remember 54 years ago, that's when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. But how much of Christ did I know then? <laughs> come on. I know Christ this big. Mini Christ. This is what I knew. Just barely enough to save me. He just, he almost couldn't, but he somehow did. And I just barely got saved. Wow, man, Christ's a lot bigger than that. And that's what Paul kept seeing. He kept seeing a bigger Christ. So, you know, he had his iPhone. There's a picture of Christ. Jesus is bigger. He steps back. Jesus kept getting bigger and bigger. He becomes a mountain. I call him Monte Cristo. Because when Paul's talking about gaining Christ, he doesn't just mean I'm gaining uh, uh, this man. He's talking about something huge. It's humongous. It's something, it is Christ. It is a person. He's God and he's man. Have you met this big Christ? He's not, when he talks about Christ, he's talking about something more than just Christ. He's talking about Christ with all of his members, the church, that's all Christ. Now it's suddenly bigger. But it's Christ, the creator of the universe, and, and the center of the universe. Christ, the execute, the person who is the executive of God's purpose, carrying things out. It's like a mega corporation in the heavens of spiritual things. He's the center of the kingdom of God. So when Paul says, I'm president of Christ, he means something a lot bigger than sometimes we mean when we say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. See, if you just know Jesus, maybe you don't have the motivation to press after him. If you see a little bit of the glory of Jesus, you start pressing in. And the more you see, the more you get hung up on Jesus. It becomes your divine, glorious compulsion to know Christ, like Paul says here. But you know, you see the background of his whole letter. Basically, his whole letter is, I want to write the letter to you, Philippians, and here is the title of my letter. Christ. Chapter 1. Christ in my life. The central verse is, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, that's a huge statement. Chapter 2. Christ is my mind. Have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. So knowing Christ is getting into his mind or into his mindset, if you want to understand what it means. It doesn't mean mentally uh, becoming as smart as Jesus. No. It's talking about getting into the mindset of Christ. Chapter 3. I want to gain Christ. Christ is my goal. See, this is what we're studying here. Chapter 4. Christ is my supply. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. He's found the source of all strength, the source of all supply, the source of money, the source of food provisions, the source to enable our inward lives to take 
very difficult situations, Paul sees Christ as everything to him. This mountain is huge. And he's scaling the mountain. He met Jesus at the foothills, but now he's up. He's well up into that mountain. He's pursuing this Christ, this large Christ. And the more he sees, his neck is snapping. He sees like what Moses said, Lord, show me your glory. Are you pressing like that? See, that's why we're together this weekend. Maybe you can uh, sense something that... Uh, have you tasted Christ? You know, the Lord. The Bible says the first level is taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I think you, many of you have done that. I don't know if everybody has. But many of you have tasted and the Lord is good. But the, have you heard him? Have you seen him? Have you known him? Have you seen enough of his grace that you love Monte Cristo? That you see something bigger that you're pursuing? This is a pursuit bigger than any kind of corporate pursuit, any kind of vocational pursuit that you could have. And I hope you have a great vocation. I hope that you all become doctors because the older I get, the sicker I get, and I need a lot of you. But listen, if you're a successful doctor, forget about it. This is a bigger vocation than that. This is gaining the mountain. Are any of you mountain climbers? Any of you climb Mount Washington? Anybody climb Mount Sinai Hospital? <laughs> well, you know, there's mountains out there to be climbed. Now, this testimony of Paul is so great that I just need to disclaim something. His testimony is so great that we might be sorely impressed with Paul and say, you yeah, know, that's why Paul is the Aaron Judge of Bible. He is like a superstar. He is like super powerful, super preacher, super believer. I'm just regular. I'm, I'm in Little League. But Paul is super. Actually, the testimony is not how great Paul is. The testimony is how great Christ is. You know why? I think Paul was even a worse sinner than you. Now, some of you are pretty bad. <laughs> Especially if you're a rebellious kind, because that was Paul. A strong-willed, rebellious type. They're the worst kind. And that's the kind Jesus loves to conquer the most. He'll get you. Especially if you're rebellious. Ah, I don't want Jesus. Ah, I don't listen to my parents. Ah, I don't want to go to school. I want to be Peter Pan. <laughs> uh, you might say stuff like that, but you know, our God is so great that he can turn the heart of a rebel. He can... T turn the heart of a persecutor. He can turn the heart of a proud, proud, arrogant man. That is Paul. And turn him from being a high-class, type-A executive, wanting to conquer the religious world and sit on the top like a pope. And he turned this man into a crying, loving, pursuer of a savior. Uh, now, that is really saying something. Now, uh, uh, Daniel did such a good, of un uh, good job of unpacking this whole thing. You know, that he, he reminds me of his dad. He's spoken me out. He just did such a good job of defining all these things, the calling, the prize, the resurrection, and everything. I mean, actually, to tell you the truth, Maurice and I are out of material. <laughs> Daniel did it all this morning. So we're going to have to fake our way through the rest of this. But here's, here's the thing. I want us to go back to this verse 13 and 14 and look at it and just get down to one point tonight we can take out of this thing. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So there's something yet to be possessed, right? But one thing I do. What's the one thing? Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, okay, now wait a minute. He says one thing and then he mentions three things. I'm forgetting, I'm reaching, and I'm pressing. Now, which one is it? Well, the one thing he's doing is he's pressing on to gain Christ. That's the verb in the sentence. The other two are participles. Forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward, what lies ahead. Those are conditions for the one thing that he's doing now. He's pressing on to gain Christ, right? Pressing on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, we'll look a little bit more 
at this uh, uh, one thing, this pressing on tomorrow night, if I have any more material left over after Maurice takes care of tomorrow morning. But the one thing I want to talk about tonight is a very simple thing, and it's this. The first step in climbing Monte Cristo is you got to leave some stuff behind. Forgetting what lies behind. It's almost like something has to die before your goal can clearly come alive. A lot of us don't have a goal because the past is still hanging us up. And this is a real problem for people. They can't press on in the present. Why? Because of baggage. Because of past baggage. You know, the Lord has a hard time getting us into the present. Now, how many of you are here tonight, but not really? Raise your hand. Well, probably half of you. Because you're here, but you're saying, huh, somebody's texting me. I don't know what they're saying. I can't wait to get out of here. Who is this guy anyway? Isn't that? So you're here, but you're not here. I remember reading this sermon written by a famous preacher, and it was called On Being Present Where You Are. Now, in fact, a lot of us don't live in the present because we're so hung up on the past. We're so afraid of the future that we can't live now. But pressing on is something where you can live now. It's something that you have to have the freedom to do now. But if that baggage is in the way, hey, it's a trouble. If you look back in Philippians 3, you still got your Bible open there? And go back to verse 4, you kind of get the idea what Paul's baggage was. Everybody's baggage is a little different. Listen to this, verse 4. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, ha-ha, I far more. So baggage number uno is anything in the flesh that we're confident of, right? So he says, circumcised the eighth day. <laughs> That's one up on you. Uh, uh, of the nation of Israel, a Benjamite, a Hebrew, Hebrew is a Pharisee by law, a zeal, <laughs> it's just a fleshly zeal, a persecutor of the church. Righteousness, I was blameless. <laughs> I was so confident. Now all that stuff's lost. I see all that stuff is garbage, rubbish, because it just held me back from pressing up Monte Cristo. And so this was his thing. You know, some people are looking for fame and fortune in the world. Paul was looking for fame and fortune in the religious world of his day, in Judaism. He wanted to be the top dog, the big banana. He couldn't actually be the, the, the chief priest because he wasn't of the right tribe. But he was going to be the number uno Pharisee, Pharisee uno. And uh, he wanted to climb to the top. Be smarter, more zealous, more religious, fast more, do more, you know, all this kind of stuff. And all of that was a hindrance to him getting to know Christ, right? Now, how about our journey? Ah, is it? Now, most of you here have gotten saved. Maybe you've even pressed on into baptism. Now, let me recommend that because to press on, you got to obey. So you, you're, now you're baptized. Maybe you even prayed tonight. Although, can I say something? Just for the sake of old people. How about praying so you can be heard? Hello, Lord. Do you hear me? How about you guys? Can you hear me pray? Okay, see? You know, our prayers aren't any better if we say, Dear Jesus, I come to you and I would you come Nothing holy about a soft prayer. And it'd be nice if we all could hear it. Wouldn't it? Yeah, I, I hear somebody pray and I hear two people say amen. They were on either side of you. Well, congratulations. <laughs> How about an amen from everybody? Now, I know these guys work in the microphones. They're doing these Chinese numbers. And I don't know what this is. <laughs> is the Texas horns or what? I don't know what they're doing. But they never seem to get the right mic on on time. Yeah, tonight, I heard six amen. <laughs> they just got the microphone turned on. Yeah, guys, you need a holster or something. You know, somebody goes six. Anyway, we got to hear these things, right? Okay. Now, so you now you're you're a Christian. You're praying a little bit. You're growing a little bit. Are you ready to start climbing Monte Cristo? Ah, could be some things in the way. Anybody know what Hebrews chapter twelve verse one says? Are two things that stand in the way of us pressing on? Okay, it says this. Therefore, let us lay aside every weight. 
Now, weights are, are not necessarily sins, but they're holding you down. And any sin that entangles you, which means a sin that you keep on having trouble with and is preventing you from going on. Okay, so now I, I've I got a little thing here, a couple of slides. If I can get us over here and right here. And could somebody turn on the special magic machine? Bagage. How big is your bagage? Some of you realize it's hard to press upwards on the upward call when you're a butterfly held down by a rock. Ah. I tell you what, this donkey ain't going anywhere. That's you right there. You got the bagage. That's fine. Ah, yeah. There you go. You're crying out for help. I know you are. That's why I want you to see how many of these 20 things you identify with. Just keep a record like this. If you identify one thing, keep a one and a two and a three and a four. Don't do the Chinese one, two, three, seven. You get confused. Okay, here we go. 20 things. Here we go. Guilty conscience. That'll hold you down, forgetting the things that lie behind. Your sins have been forgiven. Runaway emotions. Sadness, guilt, jealousy. <laughs> I'm just a bag of emotions. I feel good. I feel bad. I feel terrible. I feel... Always depressed. Some people are standard. They're just always down. Always down. I know something bad's going to happen this weekend. I don't know what it's going to be. Something bad. I'm going to break a leg, do something. Some have a poor self-image. I'm not worthy. I can't do it. You counting them up? Some negativity. I'm going to die alone. I hate my life. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. Intellectual baggage. All of those things are bees flying around that guy's head. He's got so many things. I don't know, but I was thinking about that. But then, you know, it's astrophysical. Where's the God particle? I don't know. I'll keep you from pressing on. How about boy crazy? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Talk about a donkey off his, hand, off his feet. Yeah, that's big baggage right there. Or a girl crush. Huh. I can't pursue the Lord because I love Sadie more than him. I don't know, folks. Worldly influences. Yeah, music. Oh, I love the music that's going out these days. Yeah, we should drown it all in water. <laughs> Most culture, media, I, I don't know. Addiction cycle. Where has addiction found you? On your computer? How about on your phone? How many of you are addicted to your phone? Look at them, held by four things. What is that? Twitter? Facebook? What, what's that one down there in the lower left? Instagram? Oh, okay, yeah. Absolutely, right? I can't pursue you, Lord. I'm nailed to the cross with my phone. Yeah, I gave you the Ten Commandments of the phone last year. How many of you disobeyed? I wonder you're not pursuing Monte Cristo. Oh, pulled away by your friends. You're, you're the red guy. You're trying to go up the mountain, but these guys are out pulling. I don't know who they are, but I bet they're not spiritual friends. Suckered into sin by friends. Look at that guy, stupid guy on the left. Dude, I'm going to prove I'm not stupid. Bro, can you lend me $100 to put in that machine? Oh, man, I triple dog dare you. You can't keep pursuing if you keep getting sucked in by your friends. How many of you got friends who suck you into stuff? I don't know. Sometimes Christians are so naive. They're like turkeys. I don't know. They go to the slaughter. Well, narcissism. Well, you know all about that, right? We've become a culture very self-centered these days. Very self-centered. You know, back in the old days, that means when I was growing up, girls tried to pretend they were modest, even though they were vain. Now girls pretend to be more vain than they really are. It's ridiculous. Anyway. 
All right, that sin that so easily entangles, that'll keep you from pursuing, huh? How about wall of anger? This is what you do when you get mad at your parents and you stop relating to your parents and you think you can actually press on to no more of Christ. What, are you kidding? You see, walling off your parents walls off God. That's the rules. So you better get over it. I mean, if you want to grow in the Lord, if you just want to sit there and be angry, huff and puff and blow your own house down. Or constant recycling. Guilt, anger, fear, unconfessed sin, then forgiveness, love, peace, confessed sin, then unconfessed sin. Some people are quoting 1 John 1, 9 every night of their life. Right? Deafness to the Word. We start disobeying the Lord, our ears grow deaf to the Word of God. Because of the presence of sin in our life. How about angry rebellion? I know it's tough because teenagers have a are trying to become uh, entities on their own and they're growing up uh, situations at school and at home that they don't want to obey. But angry rebellion is uh, and disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft, according to the Bible. Jesus says ambition will be your downfall. If you have a driving ambition, it's, there's sin lurking under it. Number 20, just pride and arrogance, conceit and boasting. That's the deadliest of sins right there. Pride, why? Because that's the devil's sin. If you're proud, you, you've got some of the devil's blood in you. And you need to ask forgiveness. Be humbled by it. Okay, so now, uh, how many of these did you identify with? One, two, three... Yeah, if it was more than five, then you're beyond saving. That's all I got to say. <laughs> all, right. all right. I'm only kidding. Yeah. Some of you had more than five? Ay, ay, ay. Some of you had two handers, huh? Oh, boy. You guys are in lots of trouble. All right. Anyway, let's get off of that. Let's go back. Talk about pressing on. Just wanted you to see some of those things that uh, hold us back from pressing on as we should. Okay. You see, here's the deal. When you got that kind of flesh in your life, those kinds of baggage in your life, it's too heavy to climb. You wouldn't want to climb Mount Everest if you looked like me. You just wouldn't make it. No, I'm telling you, 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 you can't carry a lot of fat and climb very high. And what, how high is uh, Mount Everest anyway? Is it 30,000 feet? 10,000 meters about, something like that. Forget it. I'd be dead by 900 feet. You, you know, I mean, listen. You got to let go. You got to let go of stuff if you're going to climb. This is the story. So you see, leaving behind baggage for Paul meant Paul had to leave behind uh, all of that religious stuff that was entangling him and holding him down. And the Lord has a way of helping us let go of this stuff. And what is that way that he has of helping us let go of this stuff? He humbles us. And so that's why we have to go through this work of the cross. Daniel was speaking about this morning. You know, we start out as a Christian. It seems like we get off on the wrong foot an awful lot because we're trying to be now a Christian by our own strength. Uh, but Paul came to the final analysis. This is as a Christian that whatever things were gained to me, I count loss. Those assets I thought I had, they're liabilities. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. You don't let go of something that you like unless you've seen or heard of something better. And Paul just kept seeing something more excellent, something more glorious, something higher. And it began to change his goals, his standards, and his confidence. The Lord didn't tear these things out of his hands, all that self-righteousness and all that religious background. No, he just showed him some of his glory. Now, have you ever seen the Lord's glory? Any of the Lord's glory? It's possible to see the glory. How? Well, this is an example. You may think this is a little thing. But one day you open the word of God and the Lord speaks to you about something. And you know that's the Lord speaking. There's his glory. Isn't that wonderful? That the Lord wants to communicate with you. 
How about when you pray some kind of prayer and uh, the circumstances show that God has answered the prayer? Do you realize that it's the glory of God? Now, it's not like when, uh, when Peter said, Lord, our boat is sinking. And Jesus said, peace be still, and the sea calmed down. But nevertheless, it's an answer to prayer. And when you see it, you should see God's glory behind it. Here's another thing. When the Lord uses you, you talk to your friend, you witness to them, or you speak to your brother or sister in Christ, and you talk to them, and you sense the Lord using you. He's in you and he's using you. Do you sense that Christ in you, the hope of glory? You see, these are little things, but these are ways that we begin to be captured by the glory. And this glory captures us every time we see it until we say, I count all things to be lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Now, just think about that. The excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's talking about something so much more intimate than just knowing stuff, knowing Bible stuff. He's talking about knowing the Lord himself. The Lord is not a one-dimensional person. The Lord has so many facets. And the more of these facets that Paul discovered, the more he wanted to press in deeper and up higher to see more and more of Christ. The glory of Christ seen, he saw this. You know, it's like Paul, as a Jew, was following God's rule book, kingdom rule book. And then one day he met the king. He's no longer following the rule book. Now he's following the king. And at some point in your Christian life, it's more than just, I am now a Christian, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that. At some point it comes to, I am following the Lord. The Lord is asking me to do these things. Not just the Bible is saying this, and so I have to do it. And when you see that, you count what you used to think was important rubbish. It's just impediments holding you down from this greater treasure. Even as Paul had to... So, you know... (laughs) When the Lord started working on Paul, uh, he gave Paul a tough time. I don't know if you ever thought about this. But you know, as soon as he got saved, he was ready to be a witness. He was ready to be a martyr. He'd been saved. He wanted to tell everybody. So he went to the synagogue and he started telling everybody about Jesus. He started talking to him. And so what, the, what was his first successful campaign of witnessing? It was at Damascus and they had to lower him over the wall in a basket. Because everybody wanted to kill him. Now that was Paul's zeal. Now Paul was zealous for Christ. But there was some love that was missing. And all he did was get everybody mad. He didn't get anybody saved. And so finally, the, the disciples took a rope and lowered him over the wall and said, Bye, Paul, go to the desert for three years. <laughs> so Paul went to the desert. Him and God for three years. He learned a lot. Then he came to Jerusalem. And he went into some of the synagogues. He started witnessing about Jesus. And next thing you know, everybody's wanting to kill him again. So that, so that Peter and uh, James and John, they get together with uh, Paul and say, Paul, God is speaking. Thus saith the Lord, go back home. <laughs> I mean, you know, Paul really wanted to be God's servant. He said, hey, I, you know, I just want to serve God and give God everything. But there was so much baggage. So much martyr spirit, so much religious zeal. And so God had to start undoing things. Now, the one thing that was most important to Paul, this is just his baggage, probably not yours, is he wanted to be perfect. He wanted to be religiously perfect. And now as a Christian, for Jesus, I'm going to be perfect. And that's when he ran into Romans chapter 7. Where everything he heard he should do, he couldn't do. And everything he heard he shouldn't do, he did. And he said, I, I don't know what to do. I am, I am, I am. And he found that he is, his center is I. So Paul had to take, uh, God had to take Paul through uh, this, this ringer so that he would decrease, so that Christ can increase in him. So Paul in Philippians 4 comes to the place where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But how did he learn that? Through the the ringer of, I have found that there is nothing good in me. (laughs) Boy, that must have been a painful stripper for Paul because he, wow, he was very humbled by his uh, failures in his early years with Jesus. 
but as a result, he let all of it go. You know, if you've been a Christian for more than 10 years and you think that you're worthy of anything, you don't really understand your situation. Basically, we have to be decreased. And it's usually done through, unfortunately, a series of failures and setbacks and things. So, but the thing Paul had going for him, even though he's being pressed down, he had one thing going on. You know what it was? He'd seen something of the glory and he was pressing into no some more. His first statement that he said to the Lord was, Who are you, Lord? Not just content to say, Yes, whatever you want. He said, No, who are you, Lord? I, I, I want to know more who you are. And if you want to press into know your higher calling and to gain Christ, when you read the word, you need to ask questions. You don't just read it. Like, I am a zombie. I am reading this verse. Okay, praise God. <laughs> you should ask questions. Dialoguing with the Word, you know, it's another way of dialoguing with God. When you read the Word, and, and you, you should have your own little worship time with God. You should give God glory. You should worship Him a little bit. Have a little dialogue with Him. What's going on in my life, Lord? Where, where, where should I go to college? And get Him in the dialogue. You'd be surprised how alive he is. And Paul did all of this kind of stuff. Well, so Paul kept pressing on, even though he had to keep forgetting stuff and leaving stuff behind, he found that he could climb up the mountain a little bit more every time he left something behind. But there was a key in the middle of the thing, so we might as well talk about it because it's really an important key. And it was this. Before you can really serve God, run after him, He's got to capture you. He's got to press in on you. Paul says, I want to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold. Another version says, I want to arrest the one who arrested me. So the first question is, have you ever been arrested by Jesus? Have you ever been saved? Some of you have been in earshot of gospel preaching all your life and you know what the gospel is all about. But if you haven't met the person of Jesus Christ, then I don't know if you're saved. Because when you're saved, there's a living transaction with Jesus Christ, a living God, and it changes something in your heart. That's why Paul makes such an emphasis on it. It's not what you know in your mind. It says, if you believe in your heart, Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. You have a mind, you've got emotions, you've got willpower. But your heart is the seat of your deeper life. And when your heart is the, the, the conjunction box of all of those parts of your soul, when you believe in Jesus, your mind understands, your heart uh, the desires, and your will obeys. And something changes in your life. Now, has that ever happened to you? Because pressing on in the long term is really about love. This testimony of Paul's, which includes all of these credible things about the prize and the outresurrection and all these things, it's a love pursuit. It's like last year, for those of you who are here at the weekend. You know, last year, what did we study? David fell in love with Jehovah and he sang this song. One thing have I desired of the Lord, right? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David had found enough glory of God that he was in love with God, over and above God doing things for him, over and above God giving him power and all kinds of things. David was in love with him. Now, Jesus has to come and show you his love. That's what the cross is all about. And most of the prayers I heard tonight were lovely because they were speaking about what Jesus did for us and his love for us when he died on the cross. Now, this is indeed the love of God shown in our lives. But after Peter denied the Lord three times, when the Lord got a hold of Peter there on the beach, here's what the Lord said. Now, Peter... 
Do you love me? If you don't love me, i got nothing for you. My dear friends, you may have grown up hearing about Jesus, singing prayers, singing songs and praying prayers and all this kind of stuff. But if you don't love Jesus, i got nothing for you. You can't really press on. Unless it's a love that won't let you go. You can't really press on unless you know the Lord's kissed you. You know the story of the Shulamite woman there in the Song of Solomon. Because Solomon came running up to him, running up to her one day on his big white horse, jumped off that white horse, gave her a big hug and a big kiss, big smack on the mouth, got up on the horse and took off. Now this woman, it just took one kiss and she was in love. And she started looking for Solomon desiring Solomon, wanting to know him better. And that's a song about what happens to us. Actually, when we get saved, Jesus kisses us. Now, do you realize that? How much he loves you? It's not just a transaction. I died on the cross for you. Okay, I'm glad you're saved. Now, follow the Bible and leave me alone. No, it's okay. Now you're my child. Now, are you going to run after me? Are you going to run after me? This is part of that song of Psalms. Is, you know, uh, uh, cause me to run after you. And we will run. I want to discover you. This is a wonderful thing. But you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if we love him very much. Do we? You know, most of the church today, according to the Bible, has lukewarm love. So, there's a problem. Well, you know, God says to the... Uh, children of Israel you're playing a game I don't want you to play the game you're very sentimental about me I don't want your sentiment I want your love I don't want you just to feel all nice inside when you hear my name be all sentimental about how I died on the cross for you. I don't want you playing a game I don't want you to speak things with your lips but your heart's far from me I don't want that now, I think Jesus means that. I think sometimes we get really kind of, I don't know, I don't know if it's a game, but it's sort of, I know I should be sentimental about Jesus. But this love is a deeper love. It's a love that wants to get to know him. Not just be sentimental about him, but get to know him. There's a, there's a proactive uh, initiative that faith, does is it reaches out and says, I want to know more of this person who's kissed me. And this is the kind of love he's looking for. Now, I, you know what? I've got to be honest with you. When you're young, it's really hard to know what love is. I know people get crushes. Sometimes we have raging hormones. And we think that that's love. I got married when I was 19 years old. And I had very little idea what love was. I knew what I wanted but I didn't know what love was. I wasn't a Christian, so I didn't know how to love my wife. You know, I mean, people think that, uh, you know, sexual attraction, things like that is love. Well, I, you know, whatever that's got to do with it, that, that thing can be jettisoned very quick. Do we really know what love is? I mean, something, that, something that's a, a deeper, it's got more substance to it than what's being floated around is Love, to, love today. When I hear rappers talking about I desire your body and all this kind of stuff, you know, it's, it's just so far from love. I hope you realize that. I know you get attracted to people, physically attracted to people. I mean, that's part of our raging hormones. That's part of those crushes we got, the, the girl crush, the guy crazy stuff. Okay, but look, love for Jesus must be something deeper than that. Not just sentiment that you have on Sunday. But a pursuit you've got on Monday and Wednesday and Thursday when things aren't going so well. Lord, what's going on? I don't understand. Jesus loves questions like that. So, <clears throat> for Paul, the more he discovered Jesus, the more Jesus became a personal obsession of his. The more he did that, <laughs> the more he had to be undone. He strove many times and he was cut off at the pass. He did many things, but it was ministry in the flesh and not in the spirit. Boy, he had to learn so many times. He was humbled so many times. But you know what he learned? As he went through that humbling, 
he learns something that I hope we can learn. It's this. Jesus loves you and he wants the real you. Our situation is uh, we want... Now, how many of you, if I took a vote, how many of you want to press on and pursue the Lord tonight? Raise your hand. Hands are going. Right. Go ahead. Get them down. So that's the intention. That's the sentiment. But do you have the power to pursue? Probably not. Until the baggage of selfishness gets stripped away. The baggage of you failures and sins your rebellious heart uh, these kinds of things these things have to be stripped away so it's not like you're going to climb that mountain fast but if you want to press into him he just gets rid of one thing at a time and you realize after he's gotten rid of that you count it but loss because you realize what you want to gain going up the mountain so in our early life we're humbled but all the time we're humbled we sense his gracious love so, you know He loves you. You know He saved you. You know He's blessed you. Whenever you've come to Him, He's helped you in some way. Now, the strange thing happens is this. So, as a Christian, you try, and you have some success, but you also find some failure. You decided you are going to read the whole Bible in a year. And as December 31st comes in and you're in Exodus 12, <laughs> you realize you didn't get there. You try to witness to your friend, but in, in fact your friend witnesses to you, and not, now you're not sure if you're a Christian. You, you, you fail in a lot of kinds of different ways. And you keep coming back to him asking forgiveness for this sin, this entangling sin. If you keep doing, say, Lord, please forgive me. Cover me by precious blood. And then you're right back to being angry again. You're right back to being nasty again to your siblings, whatever it is. And it's just like, I'm not getting anywhere. It's just at a time like that that you get to know the Lord. Now, isn't that strange? You think that would be the thing that would keep you from knowing the Lord. But it's when you fail. It's when you're humbled. It's when you come to the end of yourself that you meet the Lord. He keeps coming back to says, I forgive you. Okay, let's reboot and start again. Okay, you got completely messed up with your life. Come back to me. Let's reboot. How many times can you reboot? It's so humbling. But the Lord loves you every time. Now, what happens in that process? So what I'm talking about is failure forgiveness. Failure forgiveness. Striving uh, and, and decrease and His increase. And what happens in this process is you see that He is your loving Father and that He's not going anywhere and that He wants more of you. He wants you to know more of Him. And He's putting up with a lot of your shenanigans. But believe me, He's very patient. Now what happens is, what Paul calls these three things, he's found three vehicles to getting to know more of Jesus and climbing up the mountain. What were those three vehicles? I want to know Him in the power of his resurrection. That's the first one. No, just put it very simply. The more you see your weakness, the more you discover his power. You get into a situation where you feel so weak and unable. You're supposed to play guitar tonight. You look down at your guitar, it's only five strings. And it's all out of tune. And the piano starts playing in the key of G flat. And there's no way you can play. You're a total failure standing right over there. You discover that in your weakness, the Lord gives you His strength. Where you felt this wasn't going to be any good, the Lord makes something good out of it. And you see His resurrection power. He can take stuff that's just about dead and make something alive out of it. And you say, wow. So it's not like i got to be strong. I just have to be faithful to the Lord. Let Him do what He wants me to do. And in my weakness, I'll see His strength. You see, resurrection powers, I want to know him in his resurrection power. Well, that doesn't just mean Paul say, Lord, I want to know your power, your healing power. I want you to crash down through this ceiling with thunder and lightning on these young people tonight. Yes, I want to see your power. <laughs> Paul saw God's power a lot of times like that, right? But what he's really talking about is resurrection powers when you've got no hope and then God comes through in a powerful way. And then God tells you to help some brothers and sisters. 
I don't know if you're teaching a Sunday school class. I don't know what you're doing. But he tells you to help in some kind of way. And you don't feel like you can help at all. But you help them and you even suffer in helping them. I mean, really, is there anything tougher than being a Sunday school teacher for junior high? No, really. You know, I mean, I, I, that's the first thing I did as a young Christian. I became the teacher of a junior high bunch of kids. I said, Lord, I've gone to hell. What is this? <laughs> These kids don't listen. They rebel. I ask the questions. <laughs> this is the worst bunch I've ever seen. And you know what? You suffer for the sake of the Lord to try to teach them something. And in that suffering, you find the fellowship of God. Because you realize how much God wants to help these junior high kids. You know, it's not like you're suffering. It's like he's suffering through you. Have you ever had him suffer through you? In order to help other people? So I get to know Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. When I go through suffering for some reason because I'm serving the Lord, big thing, a little thing, the point is that I realize Jesus is so close to me in this, and it's because Jesus is suffering for their sake. So Paul says, you know, I do my share in filling up that which is lacking in the body of Christ. I'm willing to suffer to help people in the body of Christ because I feel the fellowship of the suffering of my Lord and the power that comes out of that love and suffering. And even when I am crucified, even when I am killed, even when I'm laid low, as I'm conformed to the death of Jesus, I discover something. I discover, I begin to think like Jesus is thinking. I begin to understand what Jesus went through. Because really, when we hear the story of what Jesus went through and all of that, even tonight is Good Friday and during this time Jesus was crucified. Thursday night he went through terrible things. We know that story, but you don't know what he's gone through. But as you're conformed to his death, you begin to understand the things he went through and the reason he went through, the reason he learned obedience from the things that he suffered. You get to know him. But these things only happen if you're pressing on, if you're pursuing. If you're just at stalemate and you're sitting still and you're not pursuing the Lord, you don't love him enough to pursue him, then I feel sorry for you because you're missing the greatest person to ever meet in your life. You have an opportunity as a Christian. You've been washed by his precious blood. You have an opportunity to press in to the mountain, to Christ, in fullness, to Christ, in ways you haven't even understood yet. There's still mysteries about Christ for us to discover as we climb that mountain. But Paul is climbing. He's in jail. He's being held down. But he can't be held down from climbing that mountain. I'm going to press on and lay hold of that for which I was laid hold. That's it. I'm pressing on. Are we pressing on? This is what we're talking about tonight. Tonight, I'm asking you, are you willing to forget some things that you thought were so important in your life in order to pursue him? Sometimes it means confession of sin. Sometimes it means you got to forgive your parents. Sometimes it means you got to forgive somebody else or yourself. Perhaps it means that the next meeting you go to, when you worship, you're going to worship with your heart and not just your lips. You're going to be here as a priest and as a worshiper when we gather together here tomorrow morning. You're going to love and desire Him. You're going to go after Him. No matter if it takes a resurrection or suffering or whatever the road may be, I want to know Him. That's what Paul says. It's a blanket statement. I don't care what I have to go through. I want to know Him. Is that your heart? So I ask you this question. Well, I'll let Jesus ask you this question. Do you love me? That's the whole thing. I want you to be people who are pressing on, but surely not out of obligation because some guy told you you should. I don't want you to be shamed to it because you feel like, well, i got to do it because otherwise, you know, everybody else will and I won't. I want you to understand that your Savior is much larger than you presently understand. And there's so much more to discover. This whole thing in Philippians 3 is about discovering the Christ who's in you. 
and the Christ who is over you. There's dimensions to Christ to be discovered, but you've got to pursue it and press and ask and fellowship with him to find these things out. It's a personal exploration. And you do it with your friends in Christ. But oh, it's a wonderful thing as you get to know the Lord because He is glorious. I, I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> you know what? I, I saw, I don't know if you guys watch this at all, but there's this show called The Crown on TV. You know what it is? It's a Netflix show and it's the life of Queen Elizabeth, the one who's presently living now. And it's her life, I guess from the early days, I don't know how far they're going to go, but I've just seen your early days. And it's about Queen Elizabeth's life. And so, so last episode I saw, Jack, Jackie Kennedy, you know, Jack Kennedy and his wife, uh, came to visit the Queen. And uh, Jackie Kennedy, the Queen walked her through the palace. And when she got through walking through the palace, Jackie uh, Kennedy was not that impressed. So the Queen invited her back. I mean, she was coming to London, invited her for tea again. But this time, took her to Windsor Castle. And this time, uh, the, uh, Jackie Onassis got out of the limousine, and there were red coat soldiers marching, and, and, and horses going by, and soldiers in uniform. She goes into this, to this Windsor Castle, and there's men standing guard, and there's all the beauty and the gold, and everything spiffed up and red and glorious and beautiful. And Jackie Onassis, uh, Jackie Kennedy went... Oh, man. I met Queen Elizabeth before. I thought she was just like, I don't know, a middle-aged woman. Now, suddenly, I, I see her in her regal beauty in her castle. And I realize what a, what a glorious queen she is of a tremendous kingdom. So, she didn't know everything about Queen Elizabeth. That was the whole kind of point to the story. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you've met Jesus. I don't know how big he is to you but he's a lot bigger than that. I don't know how much love you felt from him, but he's a much greater lover than you understand. And I know if you're going through troubles, and you're going through struggles, and you're going through troubles in your, in your own spiritual life, your own dealing with sins and flesh and all that in your life, that's when Jesus comes the closest to you because he wants to show you that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, and he'll turn your liabilities into assets. And what you thought were your assets into liabilities. I don't say that I've already become perfect or that I've laid hold of it yet. But this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching out toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus my Lord. That meant so much to Paul. What does it mean to you? Let's just bow for a word of prayer so that you can ask yourself that question. What does all this mean to you? We got this motto. We got a t-shirt pressing on. How about you? Have you been caught? Have you been arrested by Jesus? Have you felt Jesus many times talking to you, but you have stubbornly pushed him away? Has Jesus asked you to obey him, to be baptized, to do something, to ask forgiveness of your parents, whatever it is, and you're refusing to do it? These are the things that weigh us down. These are the things that keep us in the ground groveling like needy Christians when we should be scaling the mountain of who Christ is. What is your heart? Do you love him? You know he loves you. Just ask him. And he'll reassure you about that. Lord, I pray for everybody who's here tonight, young and old. It's so easy to get into a routine or to become proud of our position and status. And all of that is lost if we're not rising up that mountain and pressing in to the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Oh, help us to, uh, to uh, strive to gain excellency the mastery, the high ground. Lord, we sang the song, I'm pressing on the upward way. Lord, I pray that be the heart of everybody here tonight. I pray, Lord, even if you're asking people who are shy to get past their shyness and speak up and pray or ask for a song, something as small as that, whatever it is, Lord, I pray that by the grace of God, 
as we press up toward you, we'll be obedient to you and we'll serve you even starting this night. Thank you, Lord, for your great love for us. Help us understand the greatness of who you are. In Jesus' name we pray.